What a beautiful crowd. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, those that are um, online with us. Everybody is important. Everybody's part of the family. Let me encourage you. I know this thing keeps going on and on and on. Uh, you say, Pastor, you have a word from the Lord when it's going to end. No, I don't. But I tell you what, we believe that better days are ahead. I want to encourage you to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. You remember when he told us to put on the armor? He gives us hope. He gives us righteousness. He gives us truth. He gives us peace. He gives us faith. He gives us the scriptures. And all of that is energized by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So keep arming yourself with the whole armor of God. Keep loving one another. You know, I was reading uh, something this week that reminded me. In the presence of God, when we read the scriptures, now we know there's worship, there's things like that going on around the Lord, but only two things do we have record of in scripture being brought to the throne of God. And it is number one, accusation or intercession. The enemy brings accusation. The saints of God bring intercession. So remember, in an age that is full of hate and full of intolerance, remember, it's not our job to bring accusation to the Lord. It's our job to bring intercession. And we believe that the righteous and effective people of God, righteous people of God, when they pray, it is effective. That's what James says. And uh, I want to reaffirm to you my belief that the harvest is coming. I want to remind you, you say, Pastor, what are you just upset this morning? No, it's, uh, it's just with us meeting so irregularly compared to what we're used to. I just feel like I need to remind us all sometimes. We believe that a harvest is coming. I want to remind you that we have been aware that these types of things that we're facing in society were coming for a long, long time. Um, we need to prepare, I believe, for a surge of faith. We need to prepare for the rise of the church. We need to prepare for God to answer our prayers. We've been praying for over four years weekly and some of us daily, Lord, let lies and liars be exposed. Let truth rise up. Let the church wake up and let Americans know what to do. We've been praying that daily and we believe that God is answering our prayers. We are being prepared for the greatest days that we have ever seen. And uh, I want you to know we win. We win. When all is said and done, God is going to bless us and we win. With that in mind, let's join our hearts together. I'm going to ask Seth and Lena and Jackson to help me lead you in the Lord's Prayer this morning. Let's, uh, for those of you that, uh, because I know there are different versions, let's look to the screen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are going to talk today about um, inner voices. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of inner voices that get you locked up, um, but I'm talking about legitimate inner voices. Um, I don't know why it seems so strange to society that we hear voices. Society scoffs the idea that God could speak to us. They forget entirely that God is God and he can do anything he wants to. Even Christians have a tendency to think of God as a best-selling author like Harper Lee that wrote one book and then lived the rest of her life on the proceeds of that award-winning novel. No, God did more than just give us a great book. He speaks to us. He continues to commune with us. 
And um, now the Bible holds a place in our lives that is so sacred and so special. It's a, it's a sermon unto itself. But we believe that God not only has spoken, but that he is still speaking. I, if memory serves, it's been a long time, but I think it was my Greek professor that told us a story years ago about a visit that he made to the Holy Land. And it was um, in an out of the way hotel. He was on a professor's salary probably, but he was staying at an out of the way hotel, dirt road, uh, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And he said, as I watched out my window, just admiring the landscape down the road, he said, I was in the hotel looking out my window and it was like our middle aisle, like a road came up to the hotel and then parted, went left and right. He said, I noticed that there were a couple of shepherds leading a flock. And he said, they were talking animatedly with each other and couple of friends that were with him. He said, they're not paying attention to these sheep. These guys are supposed to be shepherds. I know this is too many sheep for one flock. He knew enough about the culture of the land. And he said, I thought these boys are not doing their job. But he said, as they approached the end of their road, they told each other goodbye. And he said, they began to sing. And they began to call out names and they began to sing their song and they were singing it at the same time. And one shepherd went this way. One shepherd went that way. He said it was like magic as that huge flock, some turned to the left, some turned to the right. And he said, I began to understand what Jesus meant when he said, my sheep know my voice and the voice of another, they will not follow. So Jesus made it clear to us that in the spiritual sense, we are, um, we find it so vitally important that we know the voice of the shepherd because these voices sound very much alike. Let's look at a couple of verses together. Uh, this is in your outline. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your notes. John 10 but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. He was speaking to those religious leaders that were giving him grief. He said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Like that shepherd that came to a parting of the ways his sheep knew his song, his sheep knew, know his voice. And then Paul writes in Romans, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies or communicates with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I need to just give about two or three minutes of explanation when I say that God still speaks. There's the issue of revelation in scripture. We teach in our church and we believe very strongly that there is no revelation that is given to us that is equal to the Holy Scriptures. We believe that the Scriptures are infallible. That means they cannot fail. They are inerrant. That means they are without uh, uh, mistake or contradiction or lies. We believe that they are the all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. The old guys used to say what that means is everything we need to know how to live and how to walk for God is contained in the Scripture. We believe not everything about God is in the Scripture. I mean, you can't put God in a book. But what we do believe about this sacred book is that everything we need to know about God is in this book. We believe that if God suddenly did decide to not talk, that everything we need to get us from damnation to glorification is contained in the pages of the book. Um, we believe that the writers of scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter said, and preserved from error. Um, we believe that, and we call that original revelation. But we do believe that even though we have this foolproof 
book that we lean upon, we believe that God never gave up his desire or his right to speak to his children. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would be given to remind us of his words and to, and to lead us into all truth. Now, I've got to say this. I know that there is a common mistake that keeps being made by Christians since the days of the early church. Um, well, you can even go back to before the church. And what you find is that Israel made the mistake of letting the rabbinical teaching become equivalent with the law of God. That's what Jesus was talking about. He says, you have taken the rules of men and replaced the word of God with it. Jesus talked about the inadequacy of their teaching. And Jesus was not upset about the Old Testament. Jesus never, uh, you know, unhitched from the Old Testament. Jesus never did any teaching out of the context of the Old Testament. It's not the law of God that was broken. It's what men put in place of the law of God. And by the time of Jesus, even the righteous in Israel had said, yes, we've got the law of God, but we've got something equal to the law of God, whether that was made by statement or by practice. And it was the teaching of the rabbis, the teaching of the elders. And Jesus condemned that from stem to stern. He said that will never be right. But the church has done that. Over and over again, 2,000 years of church history, the church in an attempt to preserve its power or sometimes manipulate people. And, I, and don't get me wrong, the church sometimes has to make a statement and says this is this and this is that. But the church has fallen into the trap of thinking its dogma is equal to Scripture or its rules are equal to Scripture. And we see that coming up over and over in church history. And the ruling of the church was never designed to compete or to compare with Scripture. Um, you say, well, yeah, that's, that's those people. That's those people way back there. We don't do that today. Oh, you go through church history, that's, you're hard-pressed to find a group that puts prophecy equal to scripture more than modern day charismatics. Somebody can say, thus saith the Lord, and that, that just sucks people in. Uh, they don't know the scripture well enough to even judge the, the prophecy that was given. And by the way, Paul said when a prophetic word was given to the church, let the elders sit in judgment of it. Don't ever let anybody manipulate you by, well, all I know is this is what the Lord says. You know, you need to do this. This is what the Lord says. If it's what the Lord is saying, it can be confirmed to your heart. It will be endorsed by righteous people. Um, no, I tell you, we, we have that same thing going on today in the church where people say, just give me, a, give me a prophetic word. Let me listen to the prophets. And that's why we're in so much confusion on so many areas. Prophets don't hear completely. Prophets don't see the whole puzzle. They only have a piece of the puzzle, but they try to make their piece of the puzzle the absolute word of God. And we follow them like hound dogs chasing bacon drippings. Now, I believe in the prophetic word. I believe in the ministry of prophets, but we do the same thing the church of the Middle Ages did. And the middle, church of the Middle Ages did the same thing that the Jewish scribes did. And now it's, it's bled over from the church even into the world and some churches as well, where the trend today is that the word of God is okay if I approve of it. If it doesn't offend my sensibilities. And now the average church in America has a mindset, uh, we call it the cafeteria approach. I'll take a little of this, I'll take a lot of that. This, ooh, leave that for Roy. Roy's coming behind me, Roy will eat it. I'm not gonna eat it. No, we, we, we are plagued with churches that pick and choose what part of God's word they want to embrace. Now, you've gotta understand, I believe that God has spoken sufficiently through the scriptures, but I believe that God chooses to also speak to us relationally in other ways. Now, again, no word that I speak, even if I'm convinced God put it in my heart, is equal to scripture. Why? Because even if I'm carried along by the Holy Spirit and he speaks it to my heart, I'm not preserved from error. I, I could misinterpret 
what God speaks to me. Even if I heard him in a pristine way, I could misinterpret what God is saying. You could misinterpret what God is saying. So we have the scriptures as a guideline for us as a safety to us. And loved ones, I've preached this here for a quarter of a century. Always defer to the written word of God. Don't chase anything else. If it is confirmed by the word or if God gives confirmation uh, through the word, that's fine. But always defer to the word of God because it is the track upon which we run. But, but... I also believe in the living indwelling spirit that gives us the insight to navigate those truths. You say, well, I just don't believe you need dreams and visions and prophetic words to understand the word. No, you don't. But let me tell you, God may choose to work that way. The book of Acts, for instance, it's clearly in scripture. It's clearly in scripture that God was going to include the Gentiles in the church. It was predicted in the Old Testament. It was, it was implied by the words of Jesus. It was clearly in Scripture. But I tell you what God did before the church began to grab hold of it. He gave a, a visitation of an angel to a Roman centurion. And he gave a vision to Simon Peter about the inclusion of the Gentiles. You see, God said, it's in my word, but I'm going to help you understand it by vision and by angels. Now, don't get me wrong. God does not have to use visions and angels to help us understand the word. I believe the word is plain enough that if he never spoke again, if an angel, if every angel was, was prohibited from appearing or speaking to us, if we were never allowed to dream again, the mysteries of God. I believe that God can fulfill his purposes in his kingdom strictly through the written word. But I'm telling you, even in the book of Acts, when they had a word about something, God said, I'm going to use various means to make this clear to my people. So um, I, 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 I hold very firmly to this. God can speak through supernatural means even to, I mean, to our inner man, even though we have the scripture, that's number one. But number two, because God reserves the right to do that, we must learn to discern and to understand when God speaks to us, or we'll fall into the trap of saying things like, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but all I know is what the Holy Ghost told me. I've had people tell me that. I don't know about this verse but I know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And my contention is that if you don't know the verses, you're setting yourself up for disaster with the voices. So we've got to learn to discern. Now, again, society thinks it's strange when we talk of hearing God, yet the same society speaks of having a spirit guide or used to speak of women's intuition, ESP, <coughs> um, and I know that there are psychological mental health issues that can create voices. That's not what we're talking about today. We're going to have to save that over here for a Sunday school class or something. We don't have time to talk about it today. But we do believe emphatically and without apology that God still speaks. And God can do it in an audible voice if he chooses. You say, Pastor, have you ever heard an audible voice? I, I don't know how to answer that. I've, I've heard a couple of times, but it could have been the urgency of the moment. Usually what I hear is in my spiritual man, but there's been a couple of times I heard something so urgent and so um, <coughs> dominant that it, I don't know if it was audible or not. But God doesn't have to speak through audible voices to speak to us. The great shepherd can speak to his sheep through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He can use dreams, impressions. You know, God can use anything he wants to speak to us. Just ask Balaam. <coughs> For those of you that may not know that story, Balaam was a prophet of God, but he was so hell bent on hearing only what he wanted to hear that God allowed his donkey. She began to speak to him. And the amazing thing to me is that I would be dumbstruck if a donkey started talking to me. But Balaam just had on, went on, had a conversation with the donkey like that happened all the time. 
Now, one more thing before we touch on these three main inner voices. We should consider that if God decided I'm going to make the whole world believe me, um, I'm going to start speaking in an audible voice. That doesn't mean that people will believe even if they hear an audible voice. Bill Maher is famous for saying, if God is such a good God, why is it taking him thousands of years and he still can't figure out a way to talk to us? Well, that's a, that's a statement that's based on biblical ignorance. God does speak to us. The problem with hearing the voice of God is that God has a counterintuitive method. We think if we hear God speak, we would believe. But God says, if you believe, you might hear me speak. It's called faith. Faith comes before the idea of, of, of belief. You say, well, I, I just, pastor, I just think if God would just speak out loud to me, I would never doubt him again. Well, I'm here to tell you, not only might you doubt him again, but you might not believe him in the first place. Look at John chapter 12. Then a voice came out of heaven. A voice came out of heaven. This is the audible voice of God. The audible voice of God when in response to Jesus' prayer of Father, glorify your name. Now, it had already happened once at the baptism of Jesus. He said, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says in an audible voice, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. An audible voice. Now, you would have thought there would be monuments built by the roadside where that occurred. You would have thought all of Israel would have been converted. God spoke in an audible voice. But what was their response? That was just thunder. I mean, literally, they said that was just thunder. And I'm here to tell you that the heart of unbelief is absolutely powerless without the touch of the Holy Spirit. And if Bill Maher or anybody else heard God speak in an audible voice, unless they received it with humility, they would find an excuse for it. Well, it just thundered. You say, no, I don't know about that. If I heard God, well, go to... Um, Luke chapter 16, I don't have time to read the verse, but this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man goes to hell, Lazarus, this is not Lazarus that was raised from the dead, this is another Lazarus, this is a beggar. But he goes to the presence of the Lord. He goes to what we would call heaven. And the rich man being in torment says, please send Lazarus to, to touch my tongue and, and, and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham says, no, there's no transition between the two realms of the living damned and the living blessed. He said, then at least send him to my brothers and warn them of this place. Now I would have thought Abraham would have said, yeah, boy, that'll, that'll spark a revival. We should do that. But do you know what Abraham said? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. That's how powerful the word of God is. He says, I don't need to send someone from the dead. They have the, the, the prophets. They have the word of God. And the rich man said, yeah, but if someone went back from the dead, they would believe then. And Abraham says this, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them believe in our culture. Let them believe the preached word. And if they do not believe the preached word attended to by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. Loved ones, the problem isn't that God doesn't know how to speak. The problem is that we demand that God speak our ways. And he says that's not a guarantee of faith. It's sometimes counterintuitive. Well, let's hurry. Y'all have taken far too long on that point. So let me talk to you about the inner voice. They're very simply put. Now, again, we're, we're putting psychoses and mental illness. We're putting that aside. We're putting the effect of medication aside. You know, we're putting, we're putting all of those what ifs aside. And we're talking about three legitimate spiritual voices. The first is the voice of self the voice of self. It's defined as human reasonings and contemplations. This is talking to yourself. And I don't mean in a crazy way. It's your reasoning. It's your processing. It's your thinking in your mind. Now I'll tell you about the voice of self. If you have trained yourself to be wise, you can have a good conversation with yourself. 
You can, it's called reasoning. It's called wisdom. Um, but if it's not sanctified, if it's not blessed by a relationship with God, it tends to be disproportionately and inappropriately about what I want, about my self-interest. And I'll tell you something else that the voice of self does. It tends to focus on past hurts and offenses. That's why I can just be walking down the street and see something that seems disconnected or hear a song, you know, that brings me back to a period of offense or a period of hurt. And I, I you know, you, you, we begin to rehearse our resignations. We begin to say, this is what, when she broke up with me, this is what I should have said to her. The voice of self focuses on past hurts and oftentimes it is a direct assault upon faith. It gravitates toward unbelief rather than faith. That's why it is so valuable, uh, why fasting rather is so valuable. It brings the flesh into submission. When we fast, we don't fast in order to get God to do something. We fast to cause our flesh to align to the spirit, not our spirit to align to the flesh. It's, it's so important in the book of Proverbs that it's given twice. Only proverb I can think of that's given twice. And this is what it says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but faulty logic results in death. Another translation says discouragement breeds faulty reasoning. In other words, the writer of Proverbs says, learn wisdom, wrap yourself up in wisdom, because if you don't, you're going to be subjected to a mindset that seems right, but it's going to end up in death. Now, <clears throat> we need to also understand that this voice of ourself, if it's, if it's trained right by the word of God, if it's disciplined by, by good common sense, our logic can be linked to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we reason with our mind, our goal is that it be so biblically based, <coughs> excuse me, and so spiritually founded that it actually links with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 15, oh, the church was in debate over, do you have to obey the Jewish law? Do you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Do you have to be circumcised? And they were, everybody was saying, let's come to Jesus. But half the church was saying, yeah, you can become a Christian if you become a Jew. The other half was saying, no, the, the laws of the Jews, those were all typical pointing to Jesus. You don't have to become Jewish to become a Christian. And James, when he gave his final decision, this is what he said. This is therefore my decision. It's, he said, this is my decision. This is what I have reasoned out. James was leader of the church. And a few verses later in the letter that he sent to those Gentiles that were torn up by this, this is what he said. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I tell you, every time we have a staff meeting among the pastors, our goal is not to figure out things. Our goal is to find the place where this seems good to us and it has the approval of the Holy Spirit. That is the way self, the voice of self ought to be used. Now, um, that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, of strongholds. He says, we are destroying, he's talking about thoughts now. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? By taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I tell you, well-meaning people, sometimes, you know, you'll catch yourself saying, well, oh, I ought not to say that. And you know what they always say? You thought it, you might as well say it. You thought it, you might as well say it. That, that is among the top five worst pieces of advice you can be given. Uh, that's like saying, according to the teachings of Jesus, well, I lusted after her. I ought to, might as well go ahead and seduce her. Or he made me mad. I might as well go ahead and kill him. No, no. You, just because you think something doesn't mean that you're guilty of that to that degree. 
What do you do when you think something you ought not to think? You bring it to the obedience of Christ. You say, I'm not going to think this way. I'm certainly not going to act this way. And uh, that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And this is what he said in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Bring those thoughts under control. Now I'll say this, when self-thought gets twisted, it turns to the pleasing of the flesh and the preservation of self-interest. Now, the first voice is from the inside, the voice of self. Now the voice of self can be lovely attuned with the Holy Spirit or the voice of self can be twisted and ugly and giving death instead of life. The second voice is not from the inside, it's from the outside. It's from the outside and it is the voice of Satan. Now there's voice of self, every one of us hear it. There's the voice of Satan. Unfortunately, every one of us hear it as well. You say, I'm not demon possessed. I don't hear the voice of Satan. Oh no, I don't think you're demon possessed. But when I'm talking about the voice of Satan, well, there may, no, never mind. Um, when I'm talking about the voice of Satan, it is an outside reasoning, this is in your notes, that originates in the mind of Satan or demons and then is suggested to us. It's from the outside. Now, let me say this about the voice of Satan. Sometimes it bears an uncanny resemblance to our own inner voice. Sometimes it identifies itself as you. It's not right the way they treat me. They shouldn't have done this to me. And, you know, I ought to do this to them because of what they did to me. But when you really carefully examine it, that's not your reasoning. That's a voice from the outside. It's the suggestion of the enemy. At times, it will use Scripture for a perverted purpose. Um, at times, it will overtly oppose the Word of God. Uh, you think of the temptation of Eve, and it did both. It took the word of God and said, Eve, you need to understand this is what the word of God says. But then the same voice of Satan coming through the serpent took those words of God and applied them to a different purpose altogether. Um, and I will tell you something that will scare the snot out of you. The voice of Satan can make an appeal to us regardless of our spiritual level or our spiritual experience. Let me tell you, he can speak to you regardless of where you are. For instance, the first time we hear him speak, he spoke to Eve. And loved ones, you've got to understand, Eve was in the closest thing to a glorified state you could be. She was in a state of innocence. But the devil still found a way to deceive her and worm her, his way into her thought processes. You say, well, yeah, but I'm not in a state of innocence. Well, okay, let's go to the other extreme. Jesus was sinless and perfect in every way, yet Satan was permitted to speak to him in the wilderness. You say, yeah, but I'm not Jesus either. Okay, so you're not Eve and you're not Jesus. I tell you what, every one of us are. We're that second example in your notes. We're Simon Peter. A man or woman, not Peter, but I mean you, in the active process of sanctification and the very physical appearance of Jesus. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? There at Caesarea Philippi, Peter, some said Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist or some other prophet. And Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, you're Messiah, you're son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are so blessed, Simon, because you didn't figure this out with your own mind. This was revealed to you by the voice of the Spirit. Wow. Can you imagine Jesus putting his hand on your shoulder and say, good job. You have heard from heaven. You have heard from God. And there's a special blessing on your life. And then what? Less than a half dozen verses later, Jesus speaks to Peter again and says, get behind me, Satan. You are not savoring the things of God, but the things of the devil. You see, what we, you and I need to understand is that no matter what kind of experience we just had in the altar, no matter what kind of wonderful devotion we had in the scriptures that morning, no matter how, what kind of excellent prophetic word was spoken over us, 
the devil is able to creep in right behind the word of the Lord and it sounds exactly right to us. That's why Paul tells us to be careful. Other apostles tell us, be careful when we think we stand because we're prone then to fall. Um, we, we, uh, uh, we, we remember that uh, Satan disguises himself in his angel, as an angel of light. You say, well, well, if he can sound so much like the voice of the Lord and if he plays on my, my fleshly sympathies, how do I know it's the devil at all? Well, it has these identifying marks usually. Number one, when the enemy speaks, when he uses scripture, it usually has a distorted purpose. It's usually something spoken that's true, but it's trying to pull you aside to do something wrong. I'll tell you something else about the voice of the spirit that I've learned firsthand. It's a condemning voice. It may be wrapped up in Bible verses, but it destroys love. It destroys hope. It, it, it destroys my sense of acceptance before the Lord. Sooner or later, that voice will be accusatory toward God and toward fellow believers. Whenever it's the voice of Satan, God is unfair and the people you go to church with are hypocrites. But it doesn't stop there. It accuses you to yourself. You're just worthless you're just a piece of slop. You, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. It's designed to produce both fear and bondage. And you might say, well, yeah, but pastor, I'm not perfect. There's sin in my life. I need that voice. No, you don't. I tell you, there is a very powerful distinction on the way God deals with sin and the way the enemy deals with sin. When the enemy deals with sin, it's condemning. It's condemnation. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation. There are no grounds for charges against those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, the, the, the enemy condemns you. When you do wrong, the enemy will, first of all, he entices you to do wrong. Then you do wrong and he tells you how sorry you are. And he tells you there's no hope. You're never going to get past this. You're never going to change. You're never going to be any better. That's called condemnation. But when we do wrong and the spirit of God deals with us, he doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. He convicts us. That means he deals with us as a son, not as a sinner. Before we came to Jesus, God dealt with us as a sinner. But now that we've come to Jesus, he deals with us as a son or, as, or a daughter he deals with us as his child. And a good father never writes his children off. A good father never walks in conditional love. A good father's heart may be broken, but it's broken in the right place. And it's broken for his children. And the Holy Spirit brings you conviction. And the, and the Spirit of God, even when we sin against him grievously, and even when we break his heart, the Spirit of God comes to us and restores hope, restores love, restores acceptance. And he shows us the way out of the mess that we're in. The Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son and he helps fellow believers. Now that takes us to the third voice. Now, the voice of self is from the inside. The voice of Satan is from the outside. That brings us to the Holy Spirit, which is a unique hybrid. It's unlike anything else. Because though it is from the outside, it's the voice of heaven. The Spirit himself dwells in the heart of every child of God. I mean, whether you're the newest Christian or the most mature saint, the Spirit of God dwells in you. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, the Scripture says, if we don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we're not His child at all. But you can rest assured if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you have confessed that you've broken His law and you've broken His heart and that Jesus is the only way to eternal life and you renounce your old life and claim Jesus as Lord, it's not perfection that makes you a saint, it's profession that makes you a saint. And let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. When He speaks, He speaks in peace. His language, His native language. Some of you, your native la language is English. Some of you, your native language is French. Some of you, your native language is redneck. It's just whatever your native language is, 
Um, you know, and it's, and it's said even among multilingual people that in moments of stress or moments of, of, of intensity, they revert to their um, native language. That's why Jesus on the cross spoke Aramaic instead of the, the language that he often spoke to the crowds, Greek. It, 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 that was what he, that was his household language and he reverted to that. And let me tell you what the Holy Spirit's household language is, peace. When he speaks, he brings peace. He brings a sense of grace. And the, uh, what we mean by grace, grace is the God-given ability to be what you ought to be and to do what you ought to do. That's grace. That's grace. The script, that's why the scripture says, underneath you are the everlasting arms. That's why Isaiah said, the Lord's arm is not shortened that he cannot save but he's there to help you. Ravi Zacharias was talking about how men instinctively protect their family. He said, a man will always protect his family. He said, you don't have to be a big muscle bound guy. He said, I have a very, um, a very modest body, but he said, if anything was threatening my wife and daughters, he said, I can tell you now my grandchildren, he said, I would fight like a lion. He said, you might look at me and say, I don't know if you could, but he said, something rises up in you. He said, my wife loves it when I hold her and sometimes she'll call me by my pet name. He wouldn't tell us what it was. And he, she said, Ravi, I love when you hold me. And she said, he'll, she'll grab my arms and say, oh, Ravi, you have the arms of a thinker. <laughs> Loved ones, let me tell you, we've got something more than the arms of a thinker. We've got something more than the weakness of our own flesh. We have the arms of God wrapped around us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, he speaks conviction, not condemnation. He guides, or excuse me, he glorifies the Father and the Son. And you know something else the Holy Spirit does? He even helps you honor fellow believers. His thoughts are generally scripture-based. Now, what I mean by that is his thoughts are never anti-scriptural, but he may say something um, that's based in scripture, or he may say something that seems to be unrelated to scripture, but it's always supported by scripture. He always ministers life and he never contradicts the scripture. It's a wisdom beyond our logic. It's spiritual insight that keeps pointing to the father. And as I said, you can know the voice of the spirit. This is the primary test. There are other tests, but you can know the voice of the spirit because it always ministers peace. Even if something sounds logical, even if something sounds the right way, if it disturbs your peace as a child of God, Beware. Now, let me give you quickly four Christian life lessons, and we're through today. First of all, we need to know there's a lifelong battle to bring our daily thinking into submission to Christ. You'll never get past it. Let me tell you this as I get older, I'm more and more aware of this. Never forget that the devil will wait a lifetime to spring a trap on you. I, I've, I've there have been times I thought, well, I'm past this battle. I'm past this test. I whipped this booger a long time ago only to have something rage up in me that's a temptation or a thought or what have you. And I realized that um, I thought I had whipped this way back there. But the enemy, sometimes his wisest from evil, his wisest move is to just delay it. Darren used to say this, or he probably still does to SCSL. He says, no matter how long you've been on the road, you're still the same distance from the ditch. Even if you've been on the road, down the road a long time, a long way, you're still six feet from the ditch. You've got to understand it's a lifetime battle. Number two, don't be surprised when Satan wages war against you with demonic logic. I'm not saying... I, I, I've never lived in another culture and, and I'm only speaking of my lifetime, which is limited to these 35 years. <laughs> Darren, would you, or Corey, would you write down everybody that just laughed at that? <laughs> Seriously, in my lifetime, I've never seen a time where there is such a war 
against the minds and the peace of God's people. I'm not even talking about what's happening in society. I'm talking about what's happening in, in the Christian world. And I'm not scolding you. I'm, I'm fighting it too. There is, a, there is an onslaught. I believe it's a demonic war that is trying to disrupt everything we've put our faith in. So don't be surprised when that happens. Number three, here's a good one. Boy, this is a good one. It's from, uh, I think it was, was it William Perkins? I can't remember now. Um, never believe the devil, even when he's telling the truth. Even when he's telling the truth, don't believe him because he's messed up something. He's twisting something. And number four, the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit is described as fruit. And it's described as a vine, knowing that it has to abide in the plant in John 15. Both of those passages in Galatians 5 and John 15 give us this hint about the peace, peaceful life we live through the Holy Spirit. It takes time and it takes consistency. The more you walk with God, the better you hear God. The more you are in the scripture, the more you can rely on your thinking being scriptural based. Um, please don't, don't misunderstand me because a, a lot of you listening are, are new Christians and you say, well, I don't even, I don't even know. If somebody asked me my favorite chapter, I'd say Philip 66, you know, and, boy, I just told myself, they don't even have those anymore. I don't think those were gas stations. But let me tell you, loved ones, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we ought to be ashamed if we don't know everything or that you ought to be ashamed if you haven't grown to a certain point. No, there, every one of us has a season in life and every one of us has to grow and it takes time. I'm not, I'm not fussing at people for where they are. I'm thanking God you're where you are. But now we're growing, we're, we're, we're maturing, we're becoming more like him. But please understand this, the key to your spiritual success is not treating church like a once a week event, but treating Christianity as the core of all that you are, the core of all that you are. So that like Jesus, when the enemy comes, we recognize his voice. And even if he speaks King James English, we understand that's not the word of God. It's the words in the Bible, but that's not the way they were given. This is giving death, not life. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of you at home. And I'm going to ask for God to open a spirit of revelation on you. That's the heritage of every child of God. Jesus said, if you were my sheep, and I believe you are, you know his voice. Well, I've never heard it. It doesn't matter. You know it. You have the DNA inside of you. Well, pastor, I've never been much for understanding about hearing God. And, you know, it frustrates me when you talk about it because I don't think I've ever heard God speak to me. It doesn't matter that you've never heard it. He's speaking and you have the DNA. There could be a half dozen reasons we don't think we're hearing. But he said, my sheep, every one of them know my voice. They know my voice. And they won't follow the voice of another. That's your heritage. That's not a spiritual merit badge. That's your heritage. The moment you are born, you are God's child. I'm, I'm talking about born in the kingdom. Born again, I should say. You are God's child and every promise is inherent in you. Now it's got to develop. It's got to develop. But it's there. You don't have to attain the ability to hear God through the efforts of the flesh. I'm going to pray that God will open that up to you and that you will have a new season of hearing the Lord and that it will bring peace to you. Now, if you're at home or if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, please know that you can either come forward in just a minute and we will uh, escort you to one of our prayer teams that can help you make Jesus the Lord, or accept him, I should say, as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you're listening at home, it's just very simple. I've said this before. It's as easy as ABC. Now, it, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. It's, it's free, but it's not cheap. Um, it's, it's like ABC. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross 
to pay for my sins. And I see, confess him as my Lord. I put all my trust in him, not my self-effort, not church membership. I put all of my confidence in him. And I say, Lord, you're a, you're a big God and I'm a big sinner, but you've made a way for every sinner to come home. You can pray that prayer in the most simplistic way or call the church or visit us online and we'll be glad to get back with you about uh, following the Lord Jesus. Let me pray for you. And um, uh, those of you that are at home, you're going to be dismissed. Those of you that are here after I pray, if you want to be ministered to by some of our prayer teams, um, come forward and we'll, we'll direct you to the area for prayer. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I'm asking you now to release the work of the Holy Spirit upon your children. Father, we know that there's a way that seems right, but it can be death. Lord, help us to bring the voice of self under control. We know that there is a voice that always leads to death. It's the voice of Satan. But Lord, there is a lifeblood from heaven. There is a connection to heaven. And it is the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is the heritage of every child of God. And as you get us ready for the days ahead, the great, the great uh, 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 rise of revival and the great rise of the church and the great ingathering of harvest, Lord, help us to learn these skills that we need to learn. We ask in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. If you would like prayer, prayer partners will be up here. Ushers will be up here. If you'd like prayer, please come forward to the altar area. And then we've got a special place prepared over here just to my right, your left. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in worship today. I hope you'll be with us next week at our online service to encounter His presence once again. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of Christian Life Church, please visit our website at clcolumbia.com or you can call us at 803-798-4488. May the Lord bless you and keep you and may you have a great week. God bless you.